Hi there, I'm Taga and this is Blue Rose, a podcast about artists, researchers, designers and curators in Vienna, both human and non-human, who are in love with the music of color and line. Our episodes look at how art, science, technologies and meaning come together. Our today's guest is Christina Sharkhuber, who is living and working as sound and media artist, video maker and musician, mainly in Vienna but also in the international context. She realizes big sound installations in public space as well as video art, music composition and silent noise performances. Christine is mainly interested in close listening in the intersections of audio and visual arts and the dynamics of relations and systems on individual, socio-political and technological level. Hello Christine and thanks for agreeing to having this conversation. Can you tell us about yourself a bit and what you're doing? Yeah, well, as you introduced me before, I'm a media artist, a sound artist. I'm building installations, objects. I'm working a lot with uh, electricity actually, so I'm building electronic instruments, I'm building kinetic sculptures. Yes. <laughs> What else? I'm also working as a creator and organizer, for example, of Klang Manifeste, where there will be a rent coming up on the end of August and beginning of September at the wonderful area of Symposium Lindebrunn, where we are actually dealing with the issue of arts and ecologies, uh, of sound arts and soundscapes and sympoetic symphonies and situations. We invited like, uh, I think, uh, 18 artists to be there with us and develop site-specific uh, installations. Tonight I will have an opening of my new work at Museumsquarter at Schauraum von der Angewandte, which is actually a funny new thing because this is a work that is like silent. And as I said before, I'm actually usually a sound artist. But in this situation it came up that I wanted to make uh, work that is the time aspect is actually lie in the movement of this object. What's the title of the exhibition? My Digital Skins. And as I am a U2K original, so to say, so I'm a media artist now, busy with interfaces since 20 years, I somehow decided to give all these interfaces that were kind of prothesis of myself for a long time and then after a while they were just annoying waste to give them a new life. So I made um, molds from it and built a big rubber sculpture which is, has a kind of organic, zoomorphic somehow, anthropomorphic uh, shape and is also moving and reacting and breathing. Yeah, as we talked about Donna Haraway before, I was had to think on that too, because when I was a young student, I wrote this book with the cyborgs and Donna Haraway, and I thought it's actually really kind of super spooky, and I don't know what to do with it as a young student. And now, 20 years later, I feel, well, that was really the point. Uh, we are just transforming into something that goes beyond our barely physical experiences and sensual experiences. And we are both uh, always on an intersection on a digital layer. So we are never just there as organics. We are cyborgs all the time. And that feels actually really interesting. The term you mentioned earlier, sympoetic situations, what do you mean by it? Yeah, there's this, uh, this term actually originally coming from Bess Dempster, a biologist from the US. And 
Donna Haraway raised it up and it is like the opposite of the autopoetic systems, like the systems they are like recreating from themselves. And she states the sympoetic as um, a lot of circumstances play together. So systems are much more complicated, they are in a way aleatoric, they are, uh, they are in networks, they are very related. There's always much, much more than a single person or two persons reproducing themselves mm. or animals reproducing themselves or plants reproducing themselves, there's a huge amount of circumstances and a huge amount of relations that go far beyond that. And I think that's actually in those days really an interesting thing. It rises up questions of negotiations with our environment, with ourselves, with other beings, may they be organic or non-organic. That's why we chose the title, actually. What do you think if we listen to one of your musical tracks and talk about it? Which Then, one did you choose? Um, I chose one of your collaborations from the theater play and with the uh, VR white map, Eine Marxistische Revue. That was fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come to this idea and uh, what are, what is the song about and what is the play about what's going on there yeah there was this group around Kotovent uh, Hammer. they were planning this Marxistic review on finally there's no work anymore um, and I was invited to contribute there alongside with many other great artists like Ezra was also in uh, Kete Knittler Sherry Avram it's already quite a while ago It was a theater play that uh, was uh, actually uh, invented by Kurt Wendt and Heide Hammer, and they were joining like Denise Bourbon, Maya, Esrap, me, Sherry Avram was doing the, the regie, and Ruth Biller, Martin Birkner, Hugh Lee, Andre Reiter, Nathan Spasic, they were playing. And everybody made its snippets about the vision actually of a time where there is no work anymore and they were both like theoretical text but put in a kind of funny or cabaretistic way and there were songs and I wrote actually the, the introduction song so endlich wird die Arbeit knapp finally there's no work anymore so I tried to create a kind of text that is playing a bit with Marxism but still works as a pop song mm -hmm. it worked well <laughs> <laughs> and then tried a lot working on it I mean the main thing is it was actually quite a lot of work to make this theater play And it felt a bit ironic, 
to always sing. Endlich wird die Arbeit geklappt. Das wird auch ja, ja. But I enjoyed a lot with to work with them. And I, it was during Wien Woche the first time and then we played it several times. You are talking about close listening. What do you mean? I mean it on a very different levels. I like in my music, I, I'm always very much behind these silent noises and the stuff that is just around you that you, if you do not listen really closely, you cannot even see it or feel it. Also there it has a lot to do with electricity sometimes because if we listen closely we are always surrounded by some basic basic hum or ticker or Also towards people actually in a way. I also like to work with interviews a lot and I'm often doing interview based work and usually then I'm leading really long conversations and uh, having very long interviews that are where I The more I listen, the closer I listen to it, I have the feeling the more I get really also closer what people actually really want to tell me and not what they think I expect them to tell me. I don't know if this always works, but at least I have sometimes the impression that this is a good idea. <laughs> also to get like other opinions of people and impressions. Also towards, uh, I don't know, physical aspects or political aspects. Like close listening can also mean like you... You add a, a layer of research on it, like um, having a, big, a bit of background check of situations, like trying to figure out the circumstances and uh, the context. That is what close listening actually means to me. And also for when I'm presenting things, installations or sometimes, or installations or other things, I want to create an atmosphere where there can be like a kind of intimacy also, like a situation where you are in and where you can somehow lay yourself back and listen closer. Exploring relations and systems. How do you define them and how do you work with their dynamics? Yeah, like if you if we started like not the easy way, but if you look at electronics now, um, there's a huge network of relations that are built on that. So you have you have an interface. The interface is connected with some transistor that is saying yes or no, zero or one. In this You have a lot of relations that can always be somehow different. You, as a human being, you think, yeah, well, I'm doing this and then this is working. But actually all this physical magic, in a way, has so many conditions and there is so much behind it. I mean, let's start from where does the stuff come from that is in these objects, then where does electricity from, how is it generated, what means voltage, the way you experience it, what means what it does to your life. This is why I wrote in my text actually that it's about relations. It's not only an in, it's it's not only a product that you use somehow. This is already the result of a network. And of course, I'm not always looking to all conditions of everything, but I try to make my short spot on this and that relation and work on that, like on a political or social level. Of course, this is very different. It's about humans, but in a way, it's still the same. Also, as I said before about the symposium, there's always so much more connected. Then you see on the first side. Is there such thing like uh, politics of the sound? That's a good question. Actually, it is also coming from the history, because experimental music and the DIY scene that is in many countries connected to it is sometimes very related to like political activism. Sometimes not. In some countries, it is very connected to the new music and more elitarian. In other countries, it's much more connected to punk DIY, to independent scene. Like Latin America and Asian Asian countries, both of them have a huge, huge DIY scene. 
and a huge, huge experimental scene. And I'm sure there is politics of sound also coming also from the fact that you just really grab it in your own hands, that it's self-organized, that it is uh, a subculture that's proving also kind of contradictory to like the um, mainstream culture, that is giving opportunities also because there is a, like failure is part of the concept. So it also goes a bit against the uh, neoliberal concept that everything has to be the perfect product when you present it. Of course, there are also like composers or uh, musicians who are working very political, but I would I think that would go too far if I would like start to open up that field. But I think there is politics of sound, definitely. Also, sound and music is always a social event, and only if you only go to this that this is an event where people meet, you already have a wide range of politics. And how would you locate uh, the Viennese scene on that map, so to say? I think that Vienna has a really good experimental scene, a new music scene, and also, especially in the last 10-15 years, a lot is happening. I mean, already before. I mean, when we think of Klingt Org, actually, mm-hmm. when we look at it from now, how progressive it was actually to build an independent a network, an internet platform, a web provider, a SoundCloud without SoundCloud, uh, independent event calendar. It was like more or less uh, social media before social media. I mean, it was social media for this scene and it is basically programmed by Deep 13 by himself. And he gave the web space to, for free to all the artists who needed it. And to, that was actually a huge, huge democracy process to open up that Now, I mean, now we're using all, of course, the big ones. Proprietary platforms. Yeah, but it existed and it exists also really long. And then there are also these things like the Jahresendzeit Schokoladenhörgruppe, this event where, I don't know, 20 to 30 organization groups are doing things together. It's hard to say it's international because that's always difficult in Vienna. I mean, it is, when you look closer to it, it is, but it still is... Uh, It is not really... There is still things to do, I think, in invitation politics, also in the way how some issues are reflected. I think it changed a lot. There was a, a bit this, I don't know, a, a bit a kind of nerdy distancing for a long time, so it was a bit difficult for new people to enter. But I have the impression it changed a lot in the last years, and it's getting much more open and fluid in all directions. And I think that's, that there is a process going on. I hope so. But I think compared to like the really new music scene, it's really much less elitarian and mm-hmm. much closer to informal settings and not connected with too much money behind you.
you also have an artistic alias, Can't Fit, and do music performances. So how did you come to that idea and what do you do as a musician? Well, I came to that idea because I was like, I never considered myself as a stage person, but I was like doing songs and stuff and then friends asked me to be their pre-band on a gig of them. And after that somebody asked me for the next concert and after that somebody asked me for the next concert. So I did that for a while, or I still do that actually. I mean, I was always quite into music in a way, but um, this being on stage was, was a bit suspicious to me, and I really enjoyed it also for a time, but I must say, at the moment, I also myself consider a, myself a bit more than a builder. But still, I'm sure I will perform again with the Can't Fit program. I really record in, in autumn, I will record together with Gustavo Petek, our composition Operating on Manuals. And I just released with Sorka Volny, um, The Lullabies to Wake Up. That was a choir project. We worked with three choirs in three different countries about things going up in your head before you go to sleep. And also, uh, sooner or later, a solo album should come up, but that's still in progress. But, or do you want to know how I perform or with which instruments? Uh, yeah, maybe you could uh, talk a bit about uh, the technologies themselves. You said you're maybe building up instruments and uh, using them. Could you tell a bit more about that? For, so, for example, I'm, my first instrument was actually a peanut can. That's can't fit, haha. Uh, that there was a motor inside and it produced these nice overtones when it was. And I put amplification on it, and there were really a lot of nice, interesting sounds in it. And then I was hacking like a delay, with light sensors and stuff. And then I'm using a chessboard uh, interface to control different motors and different objects like ventilators. I'm also using some field recordings and pre-recorded things. So I have one chessboard that is basically kind of a sample and one chessboard that is a motor control. And I'm working also a lot with touch sounds and my hands. And I'm using my, my voice. And the most of the instruments are actually also based on the sound of the close listening, like the small sounds. So the main thing is I always need a lot of amplification, which is on big stages sometimes really a big problem, or also <laughs> when I'm playing with other people. But that's actually the core of the Can't Fit concerts. It's also very performative in a way, I think, because these objects get, get a huge presence there. Uh, we can listen to another track. Maybe you could pick one. and From where? Which? From the album? or Yeah. Choose one that you like. <laughs> okay. How do you approach pedagogy? I was doing two lectures until now. Uh, two, two semester lectures. So that's still pretty, I would not consider myself ex experienced there. I did one at Angewandte about interview-based art, and now I'm teaching at Linz about being a professional artist. Mm -hmm. This lecture is basically about how to position yourself in like a life-earning way of being an artist. I appreciate a lot that Linz actually is giving these courses, and I'm really happy that they gave me the opportunity to do that. Because I think that's really super important for artists. Mm -hmm. You learn all these old big ideas and I'm, who I will have a great future if I'm just diligent enough and if I'm good enough and whatever. But at the end of the day, every artist has to do his taxes, every artist has to write his applications and every artist has to be able to organize himself at least a bit to get his life done. That's the thing that doesn't make a difference between if you're an artist or if you're a craftsman or if you're working in a supermarket, you have to get a life done. Of course, with art, this is always so personal, so this is much harder for people to really 
see it as a job too and being aware that all the things that you where you might fail or that where you succeed of course it's talent of course it's luck but it's also hard work and I think it's good if you learn some tricks how to get along with it that's how I approach it that's how I approach it and I hope my students like it as I said it was last year the first time this year I will do it again and I hope I can give them like some good tips and yeah And you also have been a, a part of different collectives. Uh, do you still work collaboratively? And on which project? Yes, so Plan Manifesto definitely. I'm on and off working in different collaborations. So also in Echoräume, the non-proprietarians streaming platform. I'm still quite involved. And also Vereinsimposium Linderbrunn. At the moment I'm not having like a dual collaboration. Mm -hmm. I also... Like with Veronica Maya, I produced many works, also with Sorka Volny. But I think that will come for sure again. I like to work with people. I mean, sometimes it's also good to focus on your own things, just to clear, to clear what you actually want to do. And then going back to collaborations. Or like with Gustavo, I'm having this. I will record the album. That's what you're going to do next after the exhibitions and the symposium? What, what's your future plans? Oh, well, actually, after Klang, after the Museumskarte, after Klangmanifesta, I will exhibit in Tank 3040 in Neulenbach. It's a duo exhibition with Nora Bache. It's a very big room, and I will build a Gefüge there, which is a, a sculpture that is actually reflecting on changes in the electric field, and it's a big net that is moving and creating these structures. And then there will be recording with Gustavo, working on a Kunstradio broadcast and working on a video. Also, the year is quite busy, actually. It's fine. <laughs> Your uh, works, both the clouds and also the skins, they have quite an atmospheric feel. Like uh, the little but the noticeable changes that are happening. It's somehow as if the ecological unconscious is flowing out of the form, of the surface, of the skins and uh, the material. And how do you perceive that relation? Well, when I remember that, when I'm in, like the last two years when I was really a lot in Symposium Lindapun, I also spent a lot of time of observing like how microstructures or like plants or uh, animals are somehow moving and doing their stuff and they have their very own agenda and I I think I reflected a lot on their movements like how actually little subtle things can do a lot like the way a, a plant is drilling her body towards the light or how very fast they change if a cloud is coming and they change their animals, like changing their movement, like the smaragd apex, the this reptile who is living there just changes immediately when the sun is coming and coming super fast and freezing in the same moment when it's getting cold. And I think that had some influence on the way I programmed the motors, which in a way is uh, just a display, but on the same level is also like a question of observation because sometimes you need a you need the second layer to see it like in a in an abstract way or having some layer of abstraction on it in general a communicative interface yes 
I mean, the, the, the uh, digital skills are actually not... The digital skin are actually not communicating because they are behind the glass, but the Gefüge is communicating a lot. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot for this conversation again, Christine, and best of the luck with the exhibitions and the symposium. This was Blue Rose, uh, and I'm Taga. <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening to us. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. <laughs>